On today's show, I make my case against the college football playoff. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Saturday afternoon, UCLA Bruins host the Oregon Ducks. UCLA is favored by two and a half points. We will be laying the two and a half with UCLA. Now, I know you hear that and you go, this is crazy. Chris, what are you even thinking? Oregon, they're a top 10 team. They're going on the road against an unranked squad and they're getting two and a half points. Seems like an easy bet, right? Not in the Pac-12, my friends, because by the chaotic laws of gambling, you must bet UCLA this week. Let me explain. UCLA, they've already lost twice. Fresno State, Arizona State. Nothing tells us they should be favored against an Oregon team that has one loss and sports one of the most impressive wins of the season on the road at Ohio State. However, this is the Pac-12, where you must never bet with logic. You actually need to bet against it. What makes the least sense in the Pac-12? That is what will occur. That's why UCLA being favored, it makes no sense. That's why you must lean into it and bet the Bruins. This is the way that the Pac-12 is structured. It's why we are laying the points with UCLA, knowing full well that by Saturday, everybody on planet Earth will be on the Oregon Ducks. We must trust in the chaos of the universe, and we must descend to the abyss. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere, because there is no better place to test the chaos theory of this very universe than by wagering on a Bruins-Ducks football game. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. I will warn everyone in advance, I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. This entire show... Sorry, but there are things that I need to get off my chest about the sport of college football. Sport that, you know, near and dear to my heart. Uh, Followed it closely. It's been my favorite sport for almost all of time up until the last few years. But it's still something that I follow very, very, very closely. I love watching. I love gambling. And I love talking about it, the sport itself and kind of the theories that tie into the sport. Now, you're hearing this and you're going, well, why is Chris such a Debbie Downer? And part of me is very excited so far about this season because I've actually loved it so far. It's been phenomenal. There's been crazy upsets. There's been big games. We've had teams that normally aren't around rising up. Iowa's as high as two in the polls. We got Cincinnati floating around. Oklahoma State's there lurking. Uh, Penn State's around. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that are not from the status quo playoff contenders of the last uh, seven, eight years. That have caused excitement early on in the season. Not to mention upsets, upsets, upsets. Every single week it seems like five or eight teams in the top 25 are going down. It's been very, very exciting football on the field. Now I say on the field and I want you to make a mental note of that. Because as I kind of start to flush out my ideas about why I personally dislike the college football playoff. Why I wish it was not a part of the sport. A lot of it ties into on field product and what happens when the on-field results are sometimes ignored. Now, this chaotic portion of the early season has kind of obscured what I believe lurks below the surface, what I'm going to talk about today. A playoff discussion that I fear is going to have a lot of familiar faces as the season progresses especially as we get two weeks from today and the college football playoff committee releases their first rankings. 
I think people are going to be freaked out when those committee rankings come out and we go, oh, no. Uh, Outside of the fans of these teams, these are not who we want to see in the playoff. It's the same teams that are always in the playoff. Now, when I speak about college football fans in general, uh, and, and I'll include myself in this boat, I think a lot of what drives us to the sport is this chaos that I mentioned this craziness, this anarchy that has, again, fueled a lot of the early part of this season. There's one season in particular that represents this. 2007, college football fans will know what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't, it's just the most chaotic season you could ever imagine in the history of the sport. There's upsets every week. There are just teams coming out of the blue to try and throw their hat into the ring as a national title contender. USF at one point is there. Uh, West Virginia at one point is there. Probably the strangest portion of the entire season is the last week of the regular season when the Kansas Jayhawks and the Missouri Tigers, and yes, I'm talking about football, not basketball. The Kansas Jayhawks and the Missouri Tigers played a number one versus number two matchup at Arrowhead Stadium. The last week of the regular season in 2007. That's all you need to know about how crazy this season was. It ended in two lost national champion, LSU, the first one in the modern era, who only two losses were against Kentucky and Arkansas in a trillion different overtimes. It was just a crazy season. It's kind of the gold standard for college football anarchy and what fuels a lot of fans when it comes to the sport. You don't really get that. Actually, you cannot get that in any other sport. Teams coming to and fro, upsets all around, playoff feeling every single week from the start of that week one all the way through to the national title game when LSU beat Ohio State. So when I talk about that season and I kind of contextualize it against present day uh, as I start to talk about the playoff, if you're somebody who only cares about who wins the national title, which I do not consider myself to be a part of, but it's also a part of the sport that cannot be ignored. If you are part of that Uh, portion of fans, then the playoff has been doing a really good job of helping to eliminate that anarchy that has really been a part of the past because everybody's afforded a hiccup. And when everybody's afforded a hiccup and the playoff committee gets together to decide who the best teams are, the playoff committee, we know it's a group of old people who've been a part of the sport all their lives, they get together in a Best Western or a Marriott, they have a nice continental breakfast, they eat a sausage link and a bacon, and then they go, who do we think's the best? When that group of people gets together and chooses from a pool of imperfect candidates, the end of the season, we've seen who rises back to the top. It's the same teams. It's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State, it's Oklahoma, it's Georgia. Those have been the teams that have dominated the playoff era since 2014 when it came into being. We've also seen the teams or the type of teams that get boxed out. In the past, it's been teams like UCF, uh, most notably in 2017, when they run the table, go undefeated, have great season. They're not even sniffing the playoff. And then they go into their bowl and hammer Auburn, who's one of the best teams that year, and the committee goes, oh, well, well, huh, (laughs) weird. We've seen it last year with Cincinnati, who I think was one of the best teams in America, went undefeated, barely lost by on a last second field goal to Georgia in their bowl game, and were kind of treated the same way by the committee. You're unproven. 
you lack the recruiting rankings that all these other teams have that are continually making the playoffs, that you lack the pedigree that these teams have, which is fine. You know, recruiting rankings, that's a thing. Pedigree, that's a theme. But part of why I get frustrated by a lot of the way that the selection committee goes about their process is on-field results matter to a certain point. And then after that point, the committee has shown they're going to pick and choose to kind of usher in uh, the blue bloods of the sport and say, well, UCF, that's cool, but you play in the AAC and yeah, maybe Memphis is good, but whatever. And yeah, USF's good that year, but yeah, whatever. We've seen the way that they function. It's kind of ironic, you know, because the four-team playoff era that was supposed to usher in this feeling of everybody has a chance. It's opening the door to all of you. It's actually completely shut it on the vast majority of teams. One of the unintended consequences that's come about from this 14 playoff. Now, back to this present season. And again, I mentioned anarchy so far, upsets galore, teams rising, falling. Clemson, they look atrocious. They're not going to be anywhere near the playoff. Ohio State struggled at points. Oklahoma has two. Alabama has a loss. Oh, this is crazy. Maybe things this year can possibly be different. That's been the feeling, and I felt it too at times, and it's really got me excited at certain points of this season. And yet now, in the cold light of this Tuesday morning, as I think about, we're two weeks away from the playoff committee rankings. We start to get a feel for what they value, which we already know what they value. And I look down the list of, all right, let's look at the AP poll right now. And right there at the top, Georgia. Great. That's where they should be. Unquestionably, the number one team in America right now. They have been the most impressive team. They've been the most dominant team. They have good wins on their schedule. They look like they are going to, at the very least, be undefeated going into the SEC title game. That's not a guarantee in this sport, but it it seems safe to say that Georgia is going to be there at season's end and in the playoff. Now, take them away and you go, all right, well, who's lurking behind Georgia? Uh, who's, who's going to be sitting there that if we put ourselves in the minds of the playoff committee, you know, just pretend you're 80, pretend you love nice plate of prunes at breakfast and a little scrambled eggs. You're sitting there in that best Western talking about who the best teams are. Think of who those people are going to discuss. You look at the current AP poll. This is the order right now. One through five. Georgia at the top. Cincinnati number two. Oklahoma number three. Alabama number four. The Ohio State Buckeyes number five. Which one of those teams is not like the other? Especially in the mind of somebody who is sitting there at that continental breakfast. Who has been ingrained in this sport their entire life. Which one of these teams, Georgia, Cincy, Oklahoma, Bama, Ohio State, which one of these teams is not like the other? Let's put a pause on that for a second because I want to talk about a little bit more of the philosophical side of things. How do you create systemic change? It's a great question. It's been examined by a lot of people smarter than I. Those of you who know me in life know me to be a realist. Uh, 
And the realist in me understands that in many avenues, systemic change is not possible. I'm not saying that I'm right. This is just something that I believe. It's one of it's based upon the way that I've gone about my life and my interactions and all that kind of stuff. That's what I believe. Uh, The United States government and political system would be a good example of that to me. I don't believe that it will change ever at any point. What it has always been is what it will always be. Be a bunch of stuffed up people preening about with false bravado and saying shame on you and screaming about what's in the best interests of their constituents. And meanwhile, none of it really ever trickles down to make meaningful change for the people who they supposedly represent. That is the United States government and the political system. It's been that way my whole lifetime. I believe it will be that way for all of time. Kind of a depressing thought, but uh, if you take the same line of thinking as I, when I'm able to identify that about an institution, I'm able to just move on. I say, oh, well, at no point I'm going to spend any amount of time thinking about the government or thinking about the political system because they are what they are. It's not going to change. So if it's not going to change. I don't need to spend time thinking about it. Just accept it as a fact and go about trying to change the things about my own personal individual life that I can. That's part of the philosophy that comes from acknowledging those things cannot be changed, right? One of the greatest TV shows of all time, in my opinion, is The Wire. HBO, classic, a lot of people have watched it, and it is probably the most profound examination about this question. How do you create systemic change? show it's about city of Baltimore and it examines just a lot of institutions within the city and how they all work as gears within a larger mechanism. Um, whether it's the legal system or the school system or the political world or the drug game going down the list, uh, the wire is all about how do you create systemic change within each of these areas and how If those can be changed, how do you create change on an even larger level uh, up the ladder, so to speak? Now, The Wire probably resonated a lot with me because it also aligned with that same worldview that I have that I mentioned earlier. Uh, And I think why The Wire is so profound to a lot of people is because it expresses there is a deep capacity that individuals have for change uh, if you want it. On an individual level, you can have it. Uh, you are the con- Essentially, you are the master of yourself. You can control what you want changed about your own particular life on an individual level. However, when it comes to the system and you want to try and change and you truly are motivated and desire to change the legal system or the political world or all of these institutions, the show is about... Uh, Systemic change in many avenues is not possible. The mechanism itself, it prevents change from occurring. So the political world, yeah, uh, somebody goes into it and they're going, I'm not going to be like politicians of the past and I want to serve my constituents and I have the best interests of everybody at heart and here's how I'm going to do it. And then you get put into that world and you become that world. That's what the show is about. Uh, Again, if you haven't watched the show, I would highly encourage you to watch it because while 
it sounds depressing. I do think there's a lot of power in acknowledging certain things cannot be changed. And so I need to go out of my way to concentrate on the things that I can as an individual. So I mentioned all this stuff and I'll bring it back to college football. Because to me, systemic change in college football seems just as unlikely as all the institutions that I mentioned. Um, The governing bodies within the sport, whether at a school, whether at a conference, whether at the NCAA, whether at just pick any portion of college football that has always existed. That is every bit as corrupt as any politician that you want to talk about. Uh, All of these people, they come to the table with. Long list of biases. They fulfill the role that the person before them fulfilled in the same way. That's just how the sport has always functioned. Now, the playoff has only been around since 2014. And yet it has functioned in the same manner because it has been tied into that larger mechanism. The sport of college football as a whole, which over and over has always served the people at the very top. Playoff is instituted here, an open door to everybody. Actually, that door is being shut and it's held open for the people that are at the very top. That's what happens when you have a playoff committee comprised of people who have been in the sport their whole lives who bring a long list of biases to the table. So in context of this present season, I've spoken about the Cincinnati Bearcats before. I will speak about them again. Because I really enjoy their team. I think they're very good at football. Luke football or Luke Fickle is a very good coach. They are dominating teams that are placed in front of them right now. They have a great win at Notre Dame on their schedule. It's already out there. Notre Dame, they only have one loss. They look like one of the better teams in the nation. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not saying they're the second best. I'm saying they look like a team that should be involved in this discussion. And I would love for Cincinnati, who seems hell-bent on showing the playoff committee, we are a playoff team. We are not going to take our foot off the gas in any of these games. That's why they're playing UCF last weekend, and they're just still scoring and still scoring and still scoring. Because I think they understand a lot of the talking points that I've already thrown out there. This is a playoff committee that has not shown love to a team like Cincinnati in the past. So we're going to do everything in our power to annihilate everyone on our schedule. And then if we're there at season's end... We would love to hear the playoff committee's justification for taking a one-loss Power 5 conference champion over them. Something that the past has shown us, I think, will happen. Because it's hard for me to fathom in this sport that I follow very closely. I find it hard to fathom that at season's end, there's a playoff spot sitting there between... An undefeated Cincinnati who's playing in the American Athletic Conference, conference that playoff committee selection people probably don't give the light of day to, despite the fact that you look at half the Power Five conferences, whether the Pac-12 or the ACC or the Big 12, and you go, those just aren't very good, ACC especially. But still, okay, that inherent list of biases, that's part of it. I refuse to believe that that team will be sitting there and going head-to-head against a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Oregon, who at that point would be champions of the Big Ten or champions of the Pac-12. If 
find it hard to believe that that spot would be awarded to the usurper, Cincinnati. Team that does not bring that pedigree to the table. The team that does not bring those recruiting rankings to the table. I would love to be wrong on this. I truly, truly would. But I've gotten to the point in college football where I have to be shown it before I will believe it. It's just like the political system. Uh, Every politician comes out and goes, this is going to, I'm going to change X, Y, and Z. And everybody gets riled up and says, this is the new politician and we're going to get all these crazy things. And then that inevitably falls apart and everybody goes, how was, how did this person fail? Anytime a politician says anything, I go, don't, you just don't even talk. Just show it, you know, it's going to change. Don't say a word about it until it's changed and then come to me and say, this is how this is different now. It's the same thing in college football. My great frustration with the playoff, it's not built upon finding the right national champion. This is something that I think everybody always gets lost in the weeds with. I don't care about that. Uh, I care about the principle of finding the national champion, at least attempting to find them. But the principle is more important to me than the actual determination of this is for 100% certainty the best team. Because when you think about the principle of a college football season and attempting to find the national champion and have a discussion about who are the four teams that should be allowed in, that always comes back to on-field results for me. Playoff committee, they'll justify stuff with eye tests. They'll say, yeah, we think this team's pretty good. And I'm going, okay, but shouldn't on-field results make up the majority of our minds? I get that. The playoff committee loves to justify things by saying, well, you know, this team, they've been stockpiling top five recruiting classes for eight straight years and, and, and they've had great years in the past and they've, you know, we know they've been a good football team, but they haven't shown much this particular year, but still, you know, we'll keep that door open for them if they can just make it to season's end with one loss. That's part of my frustration. That's why I don't, want the playoff to exist that's why i wish it could be burned to the ground it can't you know that's not going to happen if anything it's going the other way it's just going to get expanded but that's why i wish the playoff didn't exist because the system while new it's tied into the system that has always been there in college football it's a broken system it's not going to get better Uh, it will only get worse as time goes on that's just what has always happened um these humans who have been ingrained in the sport For a long time, if they're in charge of selecting the best teams, they're going to care more about pedigree. They're going to care more about recruiting classes and television dollars and all that kind of stuff. And who gets the short shrift in that equation? Teams that don't have that. Despite the fact that they might be sitting there at year's end with a resume that says, in this particular year, we did everything in our power to justify being included in the playoff discussion, to get that four spot or that three spot. And maybe we go there and get hammered by Georgia. That's not the point. The point is the principle of the matter. So I'll wrap this up uh, just by kind of reiterating my disdain for the playoff and how I believe it's kind of lessened the sport that I used to love, 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 and now still love it, but... It's 
probably time to talk about a lot more of these things that I have today than what I would have been talking about in 2007 when things were going off the rails and it was just football, 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 football on field. Playoff now, I've talked about this, but it diminishes the importance of the regular season. Not my favorite aspect of it. As I hear people get riled up for expansion, I go, this is only going to get worse. And that truly is my favorite part of the sport. In the past, it was every week is a playoff. And now if it's a 12-team playoff, uh, what does the regular season look like? Well, it's football being played, uh, which is cool. I'll always be a part of it. But that feeling of pressure and urgency, it's not going to be there. Right now in present day, the playoff, it allows... The same teams to rise back to the top over and over and over. A feeling that I'm getting very strongly as we get two weeks away from those first playoff rankings. That's why 20 of the last 20 appearances within the playoff have been from Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Doors shut for almost everybody. Let's crack it open when one of these teams comes here with one loss. Uh, And last but not least... When given the opportunity at the end of the regular season, the playoff committee has shown how they feel about non-Power 5 champions. You know, UCF in 2017 is the shining example. It honestly makes me think, going back to the great Boise State teams of a decade ago, that if you look at the final rankings, technically should have been included in the playoffs because they were there floating around number three or whatever. It truly makes me think that even those teams who I think were awesome and deserved a crack at Alabama or whoever there was in any of those given years when Kellen Moore was playing, it truly makes me think, would this team have been included into the playoff even if there was a four-teamer? I honestly don't think they would have been. In present day, when you're looking at it and you're thinking about the philosophy of things and the principle of things, why is that going to change? How possible is it to create systemic change? You might have a different belief on that than I. And I hope that my own personal belief is wrong in this instance because it would be more exciting and it would be a breath of fresh air if I am wrong. But I'll leave you with a question, just something to think about as this season is playing out. Um, If we're sitting there at season's end and the season goes according to script right now, And the committee has to choose between, let's say, a one-loss Georgia team that would have just lost in the SEC title game to Alabama, a team that has been sitting at number one all season long and would have been the most dominant up until that point, and a one-loss Alabama team who would have just won the SEC championship, and a one-loss Ohio State team that would be the Big Ten champion and would have run the table in that conference, second-best conference in America. And a zero or a one-loss Oklahoma Sooners team that would be the Big 12 champion, that has the pedigree, that has the recruiting rankings, that everybody thought was a national title favorite coming in, and they kind of doofed around at the start, but they didn't lose any games. They just got taken to the wire by Tulane in Nebraska and West Virginia, and then they switched quarterbacks from Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams, and now they look explosive again. That team's sitting there. And the fifth team there is undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats with a win over Notre Dame and an undefeated run through the American Athletic Conference. You had those five teams sitting there. Season's end. And the committee has to choose one of those. Who do you think is going to be left out? Remember to subscribe.
subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.